Hey everybody, um, welcome to a new episode, and I think a special one, of the 1st and 15th podcast. I'm Joel Pulliam, and um, I'm actually recording this on June 18th, the day before Juneteenth. Um, so, I think it's a special episode. What I wanted to talk about today is how we want the world to be. Right? I think a lot of times you'll hear me bring up specific causes or cases or issues and you know, usual, like in my usual podcast, right? But in this one, I wanted to just talk about like, how do you want the world you live in to be by the time you leave? And I, it comes from my dad, you know, he always talks about, you know, what the Bible talks about, because he's a preacher, you know, writing the vision and making it plain. And one day, um, I wrote down everything I wanted the world to be. Like, we talk about in politics, like when you work in politics, your why, and that's kind of like that, like why, what what values do you hold dear to you of how the world should function? That combined with what specific things did I really, really want to get done in my time on earth. Uh, and so you kind of break it down into macro issues and then micro issues, right? The macro issues are like the values, the, the overarching, you know, issues, inequality and racism and, you know, bigotry and hatred. All those things are like macro issues and along with like, you know, good things like love and peace and unity. While the micro issues are things like qualified immunity, you know, voting rights act, very specific things that you, you ask for. And I think both are needed, right? I think there's some people who, who maybe have the overarching things themes and those are very important, but they don't specifically know what they want. And then there's some people who their policy wonks and that is great too. But there's no moral meaning behind it, right? There's no, I hate to say spiritual reasoning, but what is the moral compass? Like, what is the overarching thing you're, you're hoping for in this life? And so I think both are needed. And when it comes to macro issues, obviously in this country, you know, racism is the main one, right? The world I want, obviously, is one to where, you know, you know, Dr. King talks about, you know, his dream and all that. And that's, obviously, that is the end goal. But, you know, he also talks about that he had woken up to a nightmare years later, right? Because we hadn't come as far and we have very underlying issues. Um, when it comes to racism, the overarching thing, like I want black people to get, I want us to get our due, you know, for, for what we put into this country for 400 years of what we've endured. We built this country and no one will tell me any different, you know? So th that is... I want to make things right for my people specifically. Um, it's not the only thing, but it's specific. Those are one of those overarching issues that I pay attention to um, because I don't think America can be right until black people get their due. You know, my dad used to say, like, you know, the world talks about karma, but, you know, in the Bible, they talk about the law of seed, time, and harvest, right? What you sow, you shall reap. And I don't think this country, you sown 400 years of inequality to black people and that that wasn't the harvest that we were due. We're due justice. And so that's what I work towards. Um, and I don't think this country will ever become what it should be and can be. The potential that it has is great, but it won't reach it until black people get recompense for all that's been done. That Those are just the laws, like they say, the laws of the universe, the law of seed, time, and harvest. You know, it's, you know, Christian, I mean, people, y'all know what I'm talking about. The law of seed, time, and harvest. Like race has been, it's it's the it's the critical issue. We fought wars, you know. It's how presidencies are won. It's you know, 
how policy is dictated is through the, the 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 prism and the lens of race and um racism is you know slavery is the original sin that alongside you know what was done to native americans the original americans you know so i just don't think just think about it if you're listening do you think that you could put all that bad into and in, you know hate to say in the air but like sow those bad seeds and get good in return or the very best in return it doesn't work like that especially when you tell people oh get over it oh, i'll never get over it ever no nah, this is for my ancestors for my children my grandchildren no nah, we are owed recompense for all that we've been through and our ancestors have been through so that's obviously an overarching thing um that ending poverty and homelessness the inequality in this country, you know, I talked about it before. The wealth gap between black and white families are a little worse than what it was in the late 60s. And that's crazy to people, but it's true. I think about there's no way. I, I always tell this story. At one time I visited the White House, right? And I remember it was at night, me and my mom, we actually left. And the, uh, the we walked. I don't, I don't, I don't remember how far, like in feet, but it was, it was pretty close. That on the sidewalk, when you come out on the left hand of the sidewalk, um, there was a, a a homeless man. God bless him. He was sitting on the vent, and you know he, he was trying to get heat from the vent. You know it was a very cold night, and I remember telling my mom, "There's no way that the richest country in the world and the house that houses the most powerful person in the world that just uh, hundreds of feet away." They're homeless people who are struggling to make it. You know, people passing them by. You know, people who I know, like, they're people who look in disgust. People who don't want them near them. And it's like, how are we living in a country like that? And that might seem like, oh, okay, that's corn. Or that's naive, Joel. They're always, no, it doesn't have to be that way. I firmly believe it does not have to be that way. There are over 500,000 homeless people who are consistently homeless in this country. And it does not have to be this way for the richest country in the world. A country that spends that in the next budget in 2024, you know, Republicans want to spend over $800 billion for the Department of Defense. If you're telling me we couldn't spend some of that money on on homeless people and on people who are struggling, no, you you. That's insane. They're, they're, we should not have a country to where children go hungry at night, where their families that can't cut the lights on, their families who struggle. And I think for a lot of people who've never experienced those things, it's hard to wrap your head around it or you just want to, to ignore it. And obviously there are people who've had it much worse than me, so I'm not even trying to compare that. There have been times me and my family struggle and, you, and it opens your eyes to that there's another America, right? An America that's going paycheck to paycheck, an America that's struggling to find housing, an America that, that doesn't have, they don't have cars to make it to work, you know, an America that's struggling to find a job. And, but it should never be that way. We are the richest country. I don't care what excuse you find. It's, it's, it's bull. And, and that's an overarching thing. That is something that I work towards to, by the time I leave this earth, we're ending poverty. I think of the war on poverty that 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 Lyndon Johnson had that's what we're doing a war on poverty we're waging war till it's ended there that there shouldn't be homelessness in this country I'm sorry I'm sorry not when you have billionaires no 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 we could billionaires could come together and end world hunger they won't even do that but I'm gonna save that for another episode
um, about our greed. But no, there should be no homelessness. Um, um, no. So that that that's something that I work towards: ending racism, ending inequality, ending you know bigotry in public spaces, opening up opportunities for people. You know, that's another thing we we kind of shun people who don't check off boxes. If you don't have a degree, if you don't come from a a, a well-to-do family, if you don't know this person, you're kind of just shunned in society. They don't want anything to do with you and you're kept. No, America should not be. America should be a place where it's fluid, where you can move anywhere you want to be. And a lot of people will be like, well, America's meritocracy is not. And I won't ever any let anyone lie to me and say that, well, if you just work hard, that's all it takes. No. So I want a country to where you can move up to wherever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do, and you're not shunned because of your background. Um, it might sound to some listeners, oh, that's corny. Or, no, you have to have those inner, you have to have an inner moral compass in order to work in politics or to work with people. Because if you don't, you'll, you'll go whichever way the wind blows. You have to have a set standard of principles of these are the things. By the time I leave this earth, I want to wipe out these things. I'm waging war on these things. You know, I've said before, my dad's a pastor, right? And, you know, in the Bible, they talk about the kingdom of God. And what my goal is, is that I want the kingdom of God here on earth. You know, a, a place where there is no inequality. You know, a place where there is unity and love and peace. You know, there is no hatred. There is no outsider. We're all a part of it. You know, King, Dr. King kind of talks about it and, you know, he calls the beloved community, Right to one where you know there is no one who who feels underneath anybody else there is no one made to feel like they aren't a part of the group we're a, a sense of community a sense of camaraderie a sense of oneness you know that's the goal right and so i'm always working it's like the kingdom of, of of god here on earth right even if you're not religious it it's a it's a place you can think of like it's a theme of we just want a perfect place to where everyone feels welcome. That should be the goal for all of us, no matter, you know, what religion you're into, right? Or if you're at at all. So that's what I work towards. Now, specific things like the micro issues are things that I really push for. Um, there are a lot of them, but, you know, just to narrow some of them down. One main one, I'm, I'm beyond, is ending the filibuster, right? That is... Something, the filibuster, for those who don't know, like it's, it used to be like a talking filibuster. So I, I think Strom Thurmond, if I'm not mistaken, has the longest one on record. You know, I'm from South Carolina and Strom Thurmond's an embarrassment to the state. I don't care what anyone says. He, he was an embarrassment to the state. Um, he was a segregationist. And basically the filibuster was used to prevent, you know, votes for being cast. And there's sort of that now. It's not a talking filibuster, but what it is is like a 60-volt filibuster, right? It's um, basically, it says that, you know, if you don't reach 60 votes, it the bill doesn't pass. Now, if I want you to, well, if you have the time, go look at the breakdown of the Senate. And I think the last time any party had 60 votes was the Democrats, and that might have, that, I think that was like Obama's first term. And even then, it wasn't like all progressive democrats it wasn't like that so uh, they didn't get much passed like that because it's hard to get 60 votes and that was that's the reasoning behind the filibuster so that you can stop any progress so that the wheels of government turn even slower and so like with the filibuster 
I would love to see President Biden actually take the step and say, I want to end the filibuster, right? It, it's prevented voting rights uh, action. It, it's prevented uh, any police reform. It's prevented a minimum wage. It's prevented a lot of things. It's, it's, it's a, it is probably our biggest barrier to getting anything done. And so uh, the filibuster, to me, is outdated. It's always been outdated. It is a tool of oppression. It needs to go. And I, we need the president to be 100% behind removing it and vocal about it. Right? If you can run on that in 2024, that, hey, we'll end the filibuster if we can get that many Senate seats. You can help the down ballot, you know, and that that could help the president. You know, it's, it's all symbiotic. So I would love to see the filibuster ended. And it will be one day. Speaking of the Voting Rights Act, um, uh, one specific thing I would love to see is that, you know, I would love to see automatic voter registration in this country. I think if you're a citizen, you should be allowed to vote. Obviously, voter ID is a, 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 a form of suppression. And the, with the Voting Rights Act um, in 2013, there was a case called Shelby versus Holder. And what it went before the Supreme Court and the ruling basically stated that the Voting Rights Act, which was to help black people you know, secure the right to vote back in the 60s, um, there was a clause that said that the government, before a state that had a history of suppression could change a voting law, the the government had to oversee it. But what happened in the Shelby versus Holder is that the conservatives on the court, they basically x that out. And so now you see states with voter suppression laws and there's no government oversight for those specific states. So that's one thing I would love to see the voting rights. And again, without the filibuster, we'd be able to have the votes to do that. Um, with policing, a specific thing, qualified immunity, ending that. Um, if you want to know more about it, I actually have a video on my YouTube page. And hopefully, I think the link is in the bio. And if it's not, it will be. Uh, it was, or you can look it up first and 15th. It's about qualified immunity and the history of qualified immunity. And um, basically what qualified immunity is, just a little rundown, is that, like, there's criminal court and then there's civil court. Um, in civil court, you can be sued, held financially liable for, like, a murder, for any crime. And what qualified immunity does is basically shield police officers from ever being sued personally. And so think about this. Even when police departments have to shill out money over civil cases, those are tax dollars that's your money being think about it. if you're a black person you are paying you're paying for police officers basically to hurt other black people in a way uh it's it's insane you're 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 helping them pay when they committed the crime like when the police officer committed the murder we have to pay for that and so what what i would love to see is the end of qualified immunity to where police officers individually can be held liable uh in civil court money is where look money is where things happen in terms of getting people to move and i bet you if police officers were held financially liable individually you would see less black people dying unless black people being killed by police basically uh i, I think another thing i would love to see a national database for police um, a lot of people don't know like for the most part police officer like i'm from you know I've, I've lived in fairfax right for the like almost two years there was an inst a murder and it's not even an incident a murder of a man named timothy johnson a black man who was shot over sunglasses uh he was shot by a police officer right 
if that police officer isn't found guilty, he can just go to another department and and this whatever. Even with misconduct, people can transfer from department from state to state and the community doesn't know about that, right? I bet you if you checked the backgrounds, it happens a lot more than what you think. If you checked in your local community that there are probably police officers who have misconduct cases in other states or other other cities. And so that's one thing, a national database that I would love to see. Because again, I think accountability is the only way. Policing was built terribly. Um, the foundation, obviously, catching slate, like, it was, it, the foundation's terrible. I think, honestly, it's it's crooked. It's It's rotten from the bottom up. But one of those ways to help that is to end qualified immunity, is to hold people accountable by having a national database. Um... One another specific thing I've talked about homelessness, right? I think what it costs 35,000. I heard in 35,000, 50,000, right? To help homeless, like a, a individual homeless person, right? I just think in this country, again, I've might have said it before, man, not we the Republicans call for 800 billion dollars, over 800 billion dollars in the 2024 budget. And this is also why you have to pay attention. Like, your heart can be in the right place, but pay attention to what people pass so that when you have these discussions, no one can be like, oh, well, you don't even know. No, I know that, that, that. If you're going to be in this space advocating for people, you got to know your stuff. You know, Barbara Jordan, you know, a congresswoman always says, you know, you got it in order to play the game. You got to know the rules. So, like, know those specifics. Um, I even think of another specific thing uh, when we talked about children starving. I know that it's called the community eligibility provision, right? And it's from the school lunch program. And basically, it it didn't require means testing or anything like that. It offered, like, low-income children the ability to eat breakfast and lunch for free, right? We can all agree on that. Well, Republicans in 2024, they're looking to end that, you know, and that's something to keep your eye on. Um, also, um, when it comes to health care, right, um, I, I, obviously, I want every American to get health care, whether it's universal care, whether it's a uh, uh, public option, which I think most people probably agree with. Like, you know, for those who can't afford, the government is going to take care of your health care. And, and if you want something different, you can get something different, you know. But in a country, again, the richest country there should be. And, and obviously, the Affordable Care Act helped a lot because there was no safety net per se when it came to health care before that. And um, but now, you know, we, we, we've made progress, but we need to make even further progress. Um, and it sounds corny, but we can do these things like we can do the hard things. We can do the big things. You know what I mean? Uh, an Equal Pay Act that needs to be passed. It's been sitting almost 50 years like there's no reason that gender is the the difference when it comes to pay like think about that like in 2023 women can still legally be paid less than men that's crazy that's another specific thing that you can ask for another thing and this will be controversial maybe to some people but i'm standing 10 toes on it it's the death penalty i'm not here to to argue are there heinous crimes that deserve death like I'm not here to argue that the reason I'm against the death penalty is that in a system to where 
where there's inequality, where there is racism, where there is an imbalance, I can't count on that system to to levy out justice, especially the death penalty, you know, with no prejudice. I can't count on them to make the right decision. And when it comes to death, it's, you know, there is no like, oops, I made a mistake. No, you killed a person. There, there are plenty of cases of innocent people being killed by the state, by the federal government, and then years later getting a pardon. Like, what does that do? I just think when there is a chance that a cruel racist system can accuse someone of a crime wrongly, I will not give them the power to execute that person, right? You'd rather be safe than to have killed, than be sorry and have killed someone who was innocent. You know, I was actually reading on George Stinney. Uh, I'm from South Carolina and, you know, we've heard about that story. He was 14 years old, uh, accused of killing, you know, two white girls um, and was at 14 and small at 14 was given less than 80 days he was tried and executed in the electric chair. And then some 70 years later, you know, the state's like, oh, you know, we pardon him. And we, we, we realized we didn't, you know, give him a f- fair trial. Like, what does that do for his family? You know? Again, had there been no death penalty, I mean, he might have still been alive. Well, he might never have stayed in jail. Like, like he could have been exonerated. That's like, that's the part. You can't make it right when you kill someone. And so that's another thing. I would like to see the, the death penalty abolished. And I'll stand on that. You know, now I want to talk about reparations. That's the big word, right? That's the big one. You know, people will make you feel like it's a fantasy to ask reparations. But as a descendant of enslaved people, I do not think that it is a fantasy. I think that is a legit thing. And a rightful thing to ask for in this country. You know, other, you know, obviously it's not in the same time span, but remember the Japanese who were uh, put in camps, you know, during World War II wrongly. You know, when it came to Ronald Reagan, they were able to sign something to give them a bit of reparation for what they had been through, their descendants. I don't understand. When, and I get it, rightfully so. But I'm saying I don't understand why then when black people ask for it, that is a like a, 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 a naughty word or some a word that can't be spoken. Reparations. That's crazy. It's not crazy to me. Um, I think it's it's, you know, look, look at affirmative action is going to be ended in the next few weeks. Right. And that's like a tiny sliver of trying to, like, bridge the gap, the wealth gap, the education gap, the opportunity gap. And they're going to take that away. You know, like, think if, you're, if, if your ancestors had been enslaved and it worked for free and got nothing in return. And then in living in poverty, your, you know, your ancestors get sent to bad schools and then their children don't get the best education. And then they have to. My grandma had to drop out of school to go pick cotton. Like, think of like all those things build up. People act like, oh, bootstraps, you know, King always talks about like, yeah, but you got to give us, you know, what boots? You know what I'm saying? You, we, we don't have the same boots as white people. We weren't given those same opportunities. You know, King talks about that. Um, it's one of my favorite interviews with him. He talks about, yeah, you say pull yourself up by bootstraps, but we don't ask that of anyone else. And so I want 
black people to get what they're due. And I've said that before in this podcast. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer in reparations. And I think you need to ask politicians. I, I think it's a legit and don't make anyone make you feel bad because you asked for it. You know, I'll preface this. I worked for Joe Biden. I worked on the campaign. And I remember one time in South Carolina, it was the last rally in South Carolina. And um, the night before the primary in South Carolina. And I remember someone in the crowd got the microphone and was a black man. He was like, you know, what do you think about reparations? And you could hear a pin drop. It was quiet. And I'm going to be honest. I don't even remember the response um, President Biden had. But, you know, it wasn't suitable. You know, Joe Biden didn't have a suitable answer for it. I'm going to be honest. Um, and I think that's something like it's not we're not BSing people when we ask for reparations. We want something in return. What is your plan to help close that gap? Like and, and it's not even just that it's to heal people's hearts. You know, my dad always talked about, you know, making people's hearts like right, making it right with people that would do so much for black people to make it feel like we didn't suffer for, for, for nothing, basically. Like, cause that's how it feels like, hey, you suffer, move on and we'll still pass you up. Like, we still won't give you opportunities. That hurts as a black person. I'm gonna be honest with you. You know, if you're not black, you, you don't understand the anguish that comes with that. To have all these, you know, there are people who my ancestors who were probably, who were, I know were brilliant, who were, were talented, who were gifted, could do anything any other white person could do, but never were given the opportunity. So what are you going to give them? I know that, that God, you know, again, as a Christian, God is not happy. I believe in, in, in the scales of, of justice and that you reap what you sow and that no, my ancestors had to give up too much. No, I want reparations. I don't care if it's... A, no, it needs to be housing. It needs to be free uh, college education for descendants of enslaved people. So we need specific things and not just a study. I want reparations. And that is one of the overarching themes. And, and, and we have to stop thinking that giving something to someone and making things right with one group means that it's taking away from white people because it is not. And that is a... a dumb argument and anytime anyone brings that to me i know and i will say it is an ignorant argument there there is nothing to take away from someone else to make someone else right then if that's the case then police departments uh, i made this this argument before they take from black people to go pay for the crimes they commit against black people think about that no, this is for making right because, I'm going to be honest, the platform a lot of white people have is only... No, the platform America has is only built off the backs of black people. So no, we need reparations. And I won't move off of it and you won't make me sound foolish because, I'm going to be honest, the only, like, when you look throughout the world, there are people who thought apartheid would never end, and it did. There are people who thought, oh, all these human rights... Things that we fought for around the world that people have fought for. People thought it was insane to even like, why are you trying for that? Why, why are you trying for the decolonization of Africa? It worked. It happened, did it? Oh, why is King marching? You know, they, they're not going to get voting rights. Sounded crazy. If you would have asked them 15, 20 years before, a voting rights act? Nah. Civil rights act? No, man. 
Fair Housing Act? That ain't possible. What happened? Like, there's a saying, and I'll say, and I say it all the time, the world belongs to the visionaries, right? The people who can think of the things, like Robert Kennedy says, you know, I dream of things that never were, right? And ask, why not? Why not reparations? I want to ask the person who's, who, who's listening to this, why not? Why can't we reach those higher goals of society? Why is that such a like, oh, that's impossible. Let's just get what we can. No. Always reach for the stars. You know, like they say, reach for the stars because you land on the clouds. You always reach for the ultimate thing because that's the only way you make progress. You know, and I'm not going to apologize for feeling passionate about it. I think most black people feel passionate about it. Um, people who are descendants of slaves, they feel passionate about us getting our just due for building this country. So reparations definitely is a specific thing that I'm working towards and I want to see it before I leave this earth. And even with, with, with those who are on the side of good per se, you know, reparations is, is always like a, uh, a boogeyman to them. You know, a lot of white people, because whiteness, and I'm beyond like subconsciously for white people, a lot of white people, most white people, it's a thing that blocks them from even seeing the necessity of reparations or the urgency of it and that you have to deal with that too right that that is just the reality of life and even that even if they they mean well and they're on the side of good um, uh, white people who are listening to this podcast i ask you to look past your whiteness and to see that reparations isn't it it isn't anything that's going to hurt you as much as it is it's going to help your brother and sister over here who's been oppressed, right? Again, you can't be who you need to be until we're made whole. That's just, King talks about it, it's the law of, of, of mutual destiny. So yeah, those, those micro issues, these specific policies are essential. If you're ever going to work to advocate or you're going to go vote, are you pushing for anything in this world, right? You know, what specific things do you want to see done by the time you leave? Um, you know, I'm back on the macro issues, right? You know, before we, we end this thing, um, those values are what they're going to help you through the, the, the days that are tough when you don't see progress. Those values of what you want to see ended. You know, Dr. King talks about, you know, the three evils, right? The, the racism, excessive, like, materialism in this country, and then, you know, war, right? Those overarching things, there are specific things he wanted, but those are the three things, the the institutions, per se, that he wanted to end, right? Those pillars of society he wanted to bring down. And that's what you have to work your way towards. Um, the specific things, they're essential, but also what values do you hold, right? Um, I just want to say, like, the world I imagine, right, one that's that's... There's no more war. That sounds crazy. You know, JFK talks about it in uh, his speech at, at American University. Right? He said he wanted, you know, not merely peace for our time, but peace for all time. And again, that might sound crazy and like a, a fever dream or something that's just, oh, that can never happen. But again, we can do those big things. Humans are capable. We can do, we've conquered other worlds. We've, we've gone to the moon. You know, we've, we've done what was deemed impossible, so why not this? Right? Like, I want to see a world to where there is no war. I don't want to see us interfere in countries. You know? I don't want to see an Iraq war again. I don't want to see a Vietnam. 
those things, they you killed off your best and brightest. You killed off generations of people. You know what I'm saying? Of young Americans because of, of ill-fated decisions. I want to see an end to militarism. You know, I want to see equality. We should live every day that until every American is housed, you know, every American is fed, we're not satisfied. Until there are no more black people being killed by police officers, we're not satisfied. Until the racial wealth gap has been closed, we're not satisfied. Until women have the right to, to, to have bodily autonomy, we're not satisfied. And until kids stop getting shot in schools, we're not satisfied. Until military-grade weapons are off the streets, we're not satisfied. Until the gender wage gap is, is closed, we're not satisfied. You know, you know, Jesus talks about how the poor will be with you always. Like, there will always be a need, and so we need to always be maladjusted. That society, that, that, that beloved community, the kingdom of God on earth, that perfect society, it can happen. And look, by the time I leave this earth, I want them to have said we did everything in our power to make it happen. And so think of the issues that we have in this country. But also, if you're going to be an advocate or you're just a, an American, a human who cares about other humans, think about every day of what you want the world to be. And then work your way back from that. Because I, I can't advocate for anyone if I don't believe that world can come someday. Right? There's no use of living if you don't believe that we can't have that perfect situation. And I'll also say this. Our effectiveness when it comes to this movement or any movements is not just in what we know policy-wise because we talked about that writing it down. You need to write down your values and your policies that you care about. But the determining factor will be within yourself is how far are you willing to go to make these things happen. And that is where change is created. It is very important to write down your mission and what you want to accomplish. But it's within each of us of how far will we go? What sacrifices will we make? That will determine if we can have that perfect society. And with that being said, I want to say thank you for listening. And that it's okay to be upset. Because passion only means one thing. That you're still alive. God bless.